Morning. Morning. Um, hi, my name is Kelsey Park, and I am a deaconess here, as well as a member of the Misty Way community group. And today I will be reading from Exodus 33, verse 12, through 34, verse 7. One day Moses said to the Lord, You have been telling me, take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. Then Moses said, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you do not go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I have looked favorably on you, and I know you by name. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will call out my name, Yahweh, before you. For I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. The Lord continued, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and let you see me from behind, but my face will not be seen. Then the Lord told Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like the first ones. I will write on them the same words that were on the tablets you smashed. Be ready in the morning to climb up Mount Sinai and present yourself to me on the top of the mountain. No one else may come with you. In fact, no one is to appear anywhere on the mountain. Do not even let the flocks or herds graze near the mountain. So Moses chiseled out two tablets of stone like the first ones. Early in the morning, he climbed Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him, and he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses saying, Yahweh, the Lord, the God of compassion and mercy, I am slow to anger and filled with unfailing love and faithfulness. I lavish unfailing love to a thousand generations. I forgive iniquity rebellion and sin, but I do not excuse the guilty. I lay the sins of the parents upon their children and grandchildren. The entire family is affected, even the children in the third and fourth generations. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Um, at least for one more Sunday, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor of Christ Central Church. I'm still going to be Howard Brown. Um, but uh, I want to thank you guys for the way you have just um, blessed uh, me and Kelly and our family last week, week before, uh, just things you've said 
um, things people have sent to us, um, shared with us. Um, it is God's work in your life. And it is our pleasure to be able to just get like <laughs> some scraps of that glory, like just some taste, the taste, some of what he is doing in your life. Uh, it is a true joy and pleasure to be a pastor in that way, to lead and love you guys in that way. It's the benefit. You kind of get to taste a lot of the sweetness that the Lord has for his people. Um, and um, we have more we want to say to you, want to encourage you with, want to share with you, and we will do that. Um, we decided, we talked about it this morning, it felt like sometimes it's hard in a worship service to do it, um, to say what we want to say. And last week was an opportunity for you to say what you wanted to say to us. And boy, I, I just love that. I appreciate, cherished it in my heart and will continue to do so. And um, when times are tough or hard, um, going forward in the mission we have, where um, we have exactly zero people at this point. Well, we've, boys, y'all are members of the church? We start, no. <laughs> they going to college. They ain't joining us. They said, we already did this one time. We done. <laughs> I have one member by law. She's got to go with me. <laughs> And I appreciate that there's love there too, <coughs> Kelly. So it's me and her. And um, yeah, but I don't want to go too far. I want to give us an opportunity to share some things with you and then maybe even um, later um, kind of talk more um, constructively, like with more detail about what's going on in Atlanta with some of you. Um, and so we'll do that. So let us turn to the Word of God today, um, and uh, I try, I'm trying not to go into the emotional closet or room today. I'm trying to stay away from there. I don't want to open that up. Um, so let, 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 don't be saying that's all right. <laughs> Y'all almost got me with them songs and all, you know. I tend to go sit down in those rooms later and be all emotional by myself. What's wrong with you? Um, well, three weeks. I'm back to zero members again. No. <laughs> What's wrong with you? The Lord. Jesus, you know. Well, as we look at the scripture today, just to give you some background. Um, people of God have been waiting on Moses to come down from seeing God and bringing down the law and hearing from God and kind of give them direction on what it's going to look like for them to be a people, right? Like what's, what kind of relationship are they going to have with God? What kind of community they're going to have, not only with each other, but with him? How will they live together with the Lord? How will they live out in the world? And so Moses has gone up um, to the mountain to a holy place with God to kind of receive these instructions, to receive these directions. And apparently he took too long. And the people constructed a golden calf to worship instead. And God said, after hearing about this, Moses takes the tablets, breaks them, you know, 
says, what am I doing? You know, what, what, what are y'all doing? This means nothing, right? Y'all have totally hurt the relationship. And so God says he's going to kill all of them and start over. Yeah. He takes it very seriously. Moses pleads to God for them, and this doesn't happen. And God decides to keep them his people. But a curious thing's happen. A curious thing does happen. To show them the weight of their infraction, 3,000 of them are killed by the Levitical priests. Now, it's a heavy penalty. But what happened, just so you kind of get an idea, is like having that highway patrol guy get you when there are about four of you speeding. You know, I've done that. We're in a long line. He can't get all of us, but he's going to get one of y'all. You know, first thing, what about the guy in front of me? Zoom, zoom, and he's writing the ticket, and you say, look, come on, look at that car. I can't tell you how many times I've slowed down when I see someone else stopped or even how mad I get when, again, I'm the one who got stopped. What I'm saying, um, it's hard to hear, especially what's going on in this country and all, but 3,000 is merciful considering they all deserved death. That means the generations can continue. That means they don't get snuffed out as a people. But the story continues. God is not happy, of course, and he decides that being in the midst of his people, traveling with them, living in the middle of them, in their community, in his mobile God house called the tabernacle, is a bad idea. Since it may mean he might kill more of them if they do this idol worship again, which was highly likely. So he says, before I have to hurt more of you, let me just lead you with my angel. You'll still get to the promised land, but I won't be there in the middle of it like I said I would. Y'all messed that arrangement up. But he leaves a small hope. God leaves a small hope that they can mend things. And this is how he does it. He settles and takes appointments, if you will, in a tent on the outskirts of the camp, no longer in the middle of the camp where Moses could talk to him and others who would dare try to reach him can, can come sort of like on the outside of that, outside the fence of his tent, if you will. I'm trying to give you an illustration under, to, to kind of see it. And the people fresh from idol worship and God rejection go into repentance mode. And they come to God, they mourn the idea of getting to the promised land without the God who brought them this far being with them, without God being a central part of their lives. Just dating was not enough. They wanted to get married. They wanted to live a lot, to live in commitment with God. And Moses was sort of like their marriage counselor, right? Once again, called and looked upon to mediate between the cheating wife people and madly in love but angered husband. But let me give you an inside scoop. God's incredible love and faithfulness for his unfaithful people will not let him leave them. It is a curious story of the gospel. I mean, how and why does God love and live with sinners like you and me? Why does he continue to love and go with people who are going to break his heart over and over? And why, at this moment, in this transition, do I have the greatest assurance and confidence that what God started in me as your pastor, in you, Christ Central Church, that he will be faithful to complete it in both of us and not leave or forsake his vision and mission here at Christ Central in Charlotte? 
I can say this much, it's not because we deserve or have earned it. Our backgrounds are filled with golden calves. We just didn't do one, we've done many, and we still have many in our lives. And so like the conditions in the story, God shouldn't listen to us. He shouldn't follow us around. He shouldn't want to be with us. He shouldn't put himself out there for us. He definitely should not love us unconditionally. Why? Because what we need so desperately, like Israel for security and identity and purpose in their God and hope and forgiveness, they, they have forfeited. And sometimes we don't always want what God offers and calls us, and, and it creates a rift of uncertainty and cloudiness and confusion between us and God. Here's the good news that Israel discovered. God is better than that. He's better than what your relationship should look like. He's better than what it could be because of our brokenness and this world's brokenness and the way it comes against us and affects us. So like our own court system, I'd like to say because of our moral bankruptcy, we can't deserve or afford good counsel to fix and make sense out of our broken relationship with God. But guess what? Like this passage, God has been good enough to provide a mediator for us. He's given us a pushy negotiator, if you will, a masterful counselor, a deal-closing virtuoso. Look at the account in Exodus once again. Moses goes to God to plead for the people. Now, he's already convinced God to not kill all the people back in chapter 32. And then we pick up negotiations again at the beginning of the reading we have in, in verse 12 in chapter 33. Now, I want to emphasize to you that on the surface, it might look like Moses, it, it, on the surface, it might look like it, but Moses is not teaching God. Right? He's not instructing the Lord or ordering the Lord about who he should be and what God should be doing. No, he's doing what we do in worship and preaching all the time. Declaring and asking what is pleasing to him, but is helpful and necessary for us to hear and learn about and from our God. So in other words, we sing songs like, God, you're great. God knows that. God, please answer our prayers. Yes, he will. He knows. God, you never fail. Really? Right. So it's not like Moses, when he declares these things, God, you should, and God, you would, and God, this. It's not like he's saying, God, you don't know. Sit in class. Let me tell you who you should be. He is saying, this is who you are, and we need you to answer in the affirmative for our good. So? Moses negotiating with God for God's people. This passage teaches us something about the Lord that God already knows and believes about himself, but we need to know and be reminded of. Three things we're going to look at today. That the Lord keeps his word to us. Secondly, that the Lord upholds his reputation for us. And finally, the Lord shows his grace to us. His word, his reputation and his grace is for us. So God has said no, right? He will not go with his people any further. And Moses says to God, but Lord, you said you would go with me, right? But, you know, that's nice that you would go with me, but Lord, remember what is in this sentence, Lord. You said, right? 
that I should lead these people. You said that I found favor in your insight. You said, Lord, that we were good, right? You said that you can't leave me alone to do what the Lord has called me. You said, Lord, that I should do with what you said you would do as I do it. In other words, you said it. God, I got it on tape. Y'all know what a tape is? I wrote it on a scroll, a stone one. <laughs> I got it in a zip-protected file. Y'all know I'm old. A zip file. It's in the cloud, encrypted. See, I- I'm up on things. Lord, I got you in a witness protection program of a mind and heart, and I know that you said it. So please do it for me. Do it for the people you said you would do it for. You know, it's funny. Um, There there isn't really negotiations. Not really. In the parent-kid relationship. Right? Dad, I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. Right? I've already got my conclusion in mind. I know where this is going. Especially when I know what they're asking for. No, come on. Like, right? But he, the kids can always get me with this. Just by saying... But daddy, you said it. You promised it. Oh, no. Mama said it, right? I used to play that game. I used to go ask mom, mom, can I blah, blah, blah? Dad, can I have the car? No. Mama said. Right? When Kelly and I have a dispute, forget what the argument was actually about. Right? We have a dispute about something. Come on, folks, in relationships, folks friends. The new argument is always about what you said. (laughs) You you said, no, I didn't. Yes, I did. No, I didn't. Ah. And what you didn't say, you said, and then you come back and said, y'all know how it goes. Here's one of the biggest deals about Exodus. God makes promises all over the place, not just in Exodus, but throughout the Bible. He says things he will do. Why does God listen to us? Why does God live among us? Why will God continue to go with this church? Why does God love us? Because he said so. He promises it. You know, brings back a Sunday school song from childhood. Yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. Why? Because I feel it. Because I'm good enough. He should. Because, look, I don't act like other people. I'm pretty good. Why? Because the Bible tells me so. The verbal witness and testimony of of God to the world said so. That's why. But Moses takes it one step further to get another level of God's assurance for the people of God. Look with me at verses 15 through 16 in chapter 33. Okay. No, Mark. Mark Upton, pastor of hope, is over here. But he's on sabbatical, so he's chilling. No, Mark, I have not put my scripture in the iPad. I'm still trying my old over 50 eyes. Um, You told me. You said, right? Just put it in the iPad so you can spread it out and see it. You told me that. But I haven't done it. Holly probably told you to do it, right? Yes. Then Moses said, 
if you don't personally go with us, don't make me leave this place. How will anyone know, hear this, that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people? If you don't go with us, for your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all other people on the earth. Moses is like, let me give you a better reason why you should go with your people. And they should know why you're going with them. You must uphold your reputation for your people as they walk and live in this world. In other words, do it, go with us because of the way it makes you look. You looked like a God who was gracious and loving and merciful, better than the other gods. For the way you look, the way you come across to the world, the way you want to come across and be known, Lord, go back to these crazy people. Yes, for their own good, but more so for your image and testimony and witness sake, Lord. Y'all know when all else fails, you can always get people on, on, on how that's going to make them look. Even if it's wrong or right, I just don't want to look a certain way. You might be right. You might come out looking wrong, right? You might be right, but don't want to come out looking wrong. You might be good in all you do, but you might come out looking bad. You don't want that. Think about athletes and stars getting the camera PR, going to the soup kitchen or habitat home or reading program, especially the ones who have a bad reputation in other ways, right? It is sort of fixing things. But, but God's is more than a publicity stunt, and this is what I want you to see. The Lord wants the Israelites in the world through them based on how he treats and blesses them in their hardships, not only personally, privately, but out in a watching world. Y'all, an often critical world. So that none will ever or forget or assume how and who he is. He wants them and now us in our world to know and remember that he is a merciful God. Who desires and can have relationship with, by having it with you, <laughs> with any kind of sinful people. Why does he continue to go with us crazy people? Why does he listen to these people who are no better than you or me? Why does he keep forgiving and healing stuff that they have done wrong? Why does the church keep filling up with some of the most conniving and sneaky and pretending and dirty and addicted and greedy and sometimes unloving and unmerciful people? Because God has and wants to send a message and has sent a message to you and them in the world. What is the message? He loves sinners. The message, the, the public persona of God, just by the fact that he lives here and you say, hey, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, blah, blah, blah. And people see that and they're like, God hangs out with you? What kind of God is that? He hears the prayers of the imperfect. That's what the church is, a display of. Did, did you think we were a display of goodness? If we were a display of goodness, we can shut it down now. We've arrived. The scripture is teaching us that we're displaying that, that God heals and helps and offers himself to the often irreverent. He even lives in, in, with and marries chronic adulterers and cheaters. 
He's putting the face and character forward that he wants all people to see and be reminded of and drawn to. Through his relationship with you, he sets a reputation as a merciful and loving God. He's the parent who loves and takes on and cares for the troubled kid in a troubled world. He does it and shows it by going with and being associated with them in public. God takes y'all to the mall when y'all don't know how to act. When a kid don't know how to act, who we blame? The parent. The trauma down. And we say things to ourselves. Well, you know, I would have had that. I would have had them tightened up right there. All right? God goes with us in this world. He puts his name on churches like Christ Central. And people look not only at you, they look at him. And here is the testimony. Why would he bring and put his name out on them? He's loving. He's merciful. He's kind. And get this. He's not ashamed of you. I remember, you know, if you watch daytime TV, and in my profession, sometimes I'm at home taking my break, and I might flip on the TV, and you know, on the regular network channels, what shows up the most? The debt commercials, right? And what do they do? They show debt commercials to gain customers. We know, and they say things like this. We know that most debt is not your fault. (laughs) I've heard it. You know, and and they don't, may I say that sentence, but it sort of comes out like, we know that most of the debt you have is probably not your fault. Or it kind of makes it, forget that that is not true for a minute. And think about what the commercial is designed to do, to attract the very heart of debtors. And get their business relationship. You know debtors' hearts and lives and issues that say, I deserve it. I need this now. I will not have to pay. It's not my fault things I need and want are beyond my ability to pay for. It's not my fault those tennis shoes cost so much. What? They should have put it this high or pay cash. Card. Right. But unlike the commercial, God is not attracting or calling people with a lie. But he's, attract, he's attracting and calling liars to himself. Those who have told untruths about themselves and others, he's attracting them with the truth. He will even love liars and the lied to and untrustworthy and broken and hurt. Understand what Moses is asking for here and what God is agreeing to, for God to be associated with the Israelites forever, which means he is marketing himself, revealing himself as a God for idolaters, to hearing their prayers, to visiting and changing their lives and loving them unconditionally. This is the God reputation through Christ Central. And I know, gosh, it doesn't make us look that great. But it makes God a loving God. Now Moses has gotten God to go with him. 
to now be with his people and for Moses. But as far as Moses is concerned, for God's people, that is still not all the good news. So he makes a crazy request in verse 18. Look with me. So he's, he's, he's whittled them down, said all these things that God already knows. 17, the Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I look favorably on you, and I know you by name. I love that he keeps referring to Moses. And Moses says, yeah, you, you saying you, but I'm going to say me and them, right? I'm including them. And Moses replied, then show me your glorious presence. God, I want to see your glory. Let me tell you what he's asking to put this in perspective. God, I want to know. I want to see you on the wedding day before the ceremony. Let me take it further. I want to kiss you before the kiss. I want to see what you intend to wait to give me on the wedding night. I want to know now. You know, I tried something like this on the night before I proposed to Kelly. No, don't think dirty, y'all. But she was staying at the house. We were good. We were good. She shake your head more convincingly. What? <laughs> I was as good as anybody else. As good as any of y'all would be. Good Lord, that was messy. If I have to say we were good, and I have to ask to do it with a question mark, we were good that time. So, and I, I had the ring and all that stuff. Somewhere in the middle of the conversation late that night, my nervousness, I said, Kelly, what would you say if I asked you to marry me? <laughs> I was wimping out. I was afraid to make a fool of myself because I was going to do it in front of some people. You know what her answer was? You have to wait and see. Yeah. And she didn't say it with any assurance. Man, I didn't sleep that night, boy. <laughs> and the way she said it, no smile, no hug. It was like, you got to wait and see. <laughs> what? God, Moses asked, I want to know what I have no right to know or see. I want to see your intentions beforehand. Here, let me put my shades on real quick, because I know you brighten all, right, God? <laughs> Oh, that ain't good enough? Well, well, let me put my hand over my face and just look through the cracks, right? <laughs> no, well, let me, you know, let me squint real good. And God is like, you might not completely understand the fullness of what you're asking for. No man can see me and live. Moses, you're not worthy enough to see me. You will melt like the dudes on Indiana Jones, the first one. I know y'all thinking that. I know it. Brad over there, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anybody 50, you get it, yeah. Remember that first came out? We were like, what? Yeah. I, I mean, I, I had the VHS. I would rewind so many times, hit pause. 
You'll melt, he's saying, if you see me. You're not good enough to see me. You're too fine at Your eyeballs will fall out. The sight of your glory will make you turn inside out. Your skin would fall off your face. It would cause a conniption of the mind and heart. You can't handle the fullness of my attention. I kind of feel creative. Like, I wish I could, like, film that scene. I want to see anyway, God, or something like that, right? But you, you, you can't handle, basically, the fullness of my attention, the fullness of my knowledge, the fullness of my ways. You can't handle the truth. If you're 50, you know where that's from, too. But I will tell you, I will let you only behold a part of me. Get this. I will let you see my goodness. My goodness. Moses wanted to see God's glory, and God decided to show and share the glory of his grace with him. So God says, I'll put you in the cleft of a rock so you'll be cut off from seeing every angle. So, so you will be cut off from being exposed to all that I am and all that I know. You will just be able to catch a glimpse from, from your limited angle to see the backside of me, which is more than enough to carry you faithfully on. What is the point? Not really about a particular part of the body because God is ultimately spirit, but about what the exposure says. Moses saw the wonder and glory of God's intention for his people. So for that answer to, to God's intentions in the rock, Moses was able to see and experience God's goodness while being shielded, hear me, from all that would judge and condemn him. The rock or the cleft was a radiation suit of short sorts. God, Moses experienced what God's intention for his people, what he intended for his people to experience, to be in a place where they could see and know and experience his goodness and his glory and his grace and his mercy, a transforming grace, a, a life-changing glimpse of God that is offered to sinners and makes them saints, a place that makes orphans into sons and daughters, a place to run when God's people forget or fail or fall, to run, to hide from condemnation and fear, and still be able to see and experience the goodness of God from their condemned state. You see, God's posture towards Moses, showing his back, defines the very relationship God desires to have with you people. A backwards relationship. Were you, though due to be condemned, stand in a spot and in a place where you experience God's grace and love and goodness for you? You see, we're talking about a backwards relationship, a relationship that is the crazy and scandalous message of the Bible. Do I know how crazy it is? You know how crazy God looks in the Bible? The rest of the gods in the world look much better. They had good sense. If people didn't do right, they killed them, right? If, if, if you had a God back then, small g, not the real God, and you didn't do right, they might uh, send down a storm on you or, or get rid of you or, or kill you or destroy you or something like that or, or get another God to do something to you, right? Or it's, it's like a big drama where they get upset and then they destroy all the people or forget to feed you that year or something like that. No, you've got the craziest God in the world in the minds of other gods. It's backwards. 
He promises to love those who could not be trusted to do the same. He agrees to live with people who would abandon him at the latest and newest and easiest golden calf. And by hiding Moses in the rock, he's agreeing to shield people from the wrath and condemnation and guilt this world and their sins give and offer them a new life of goodness and grace and love. How backwards can you get? Well, you can give your only begotten son, Jesus. Jesus is the very offer and person of God's backwards relation to me and you. Like our Moses in a story, Jesus has gone to God to plead for those who can't, yet should plead for themselves. He has secured God's presence in our life, though you and I do everything to put God out on the couch. And he is the rock, the rock of our redemption, the rock of our salvation. He takes the wrath. Jesus took the glory glimpse. He took the Medusa stare. He took the skin-melting eyes popping out wrath of God's glory for our sin and hides us in him so that under his protection, we can have the right angle, the right standing, be in the right place to experience and live and be changed positively by God's goodness. Let me ask you again, how backwards can you get? Jesus dies. We live he is forsaken. We are accepted and heard by God. He is beaten. We are embraced. He gets the full wrath of God for our sins, and we get unconditional love. How backwards can you get? Well, let me tell you. We run. He chases after us. We hide. He finds us. We cover up. He sees us. We are forgotten and forget, and he remembers. We sin, and God saves. We curse, and he blesses. We let go, and he holds on. He is the God of bad people in a glory of a backwards relationship. So we pray. So we pray hide me, God. Hide me in the rock. Hide my sin. Hide my distrustful thoughts from disqualifying me from your presence and let me see your intentions. Let me know your unconditional love. Let me see what I shouldn't, but what Jesus has bought with his body and blood for me to experience. The glory of his grace. Christ Central Church for each and every and all the 19 years of our existence. Don't you realize you're still here because God has hidden you in the rock? To protect us, to lead us, so that you could love him and his people and be a people for him? Don't you know? You've been allowed to hide in Christ. You've been allowed to see the goodness of God. Over 19 years, God has been good to you. You're here. Because he's kept you here. To his one who is called to serve, he's been good to me. Man, I've been allowed to see you in your lives and the hope. You know, kind of being hidden in the rock is hidden in the hope and plan of God. And let me tell you, if I were to look straight on at any of your lives, <laughs> some of the stuff we've seen in 19 years, that should have destroyed you? 
that should have made you walk away from the faith? That should have made me walk away from the faith and from the ministry? God hid you. He hid us in the comfort of his grace so that we could just get a glimpse of his love, and that was enough. It was enough for us to keep praying. It was enough for us to say, hey, I'm going to have another meeting. We're going to make another call. We're going to make another attempt. We're going to try another year, (laughs) another month, another day. That's what it means to be hidden in his grace. He hid me in a cleft and angle of his grace for 19 years. So that I would not lean on my own ability to hope and trust for you. But on his word concerning you, understand sometimes, and it doesn't have to be a pastor thing. It ain't ain't like that stilted or elevated or something like that. Because as true as you deal with your friends, as you deal with your neighbors, as you deal with your family members, as you deal with the person you see in the mirror yourself, right? That I have the ability to trust and hope for you because of his word concerning you. He's hidden me in that because of his reputation, because of his grace. And I believe, Christ Central, and know you will be kept by and in the same. You are here and gotten here through many ups and downs because you and I, Christ Central, have been hidden in the rock of ages. Jesus himself. Stay in the cleft of the rock. Oh, I know you want to know. I know you want to control things. I know that you even want to stand before God in this world in your own goodness. Hide in his word. Hide in his merciful reputation. Hold on and hide in his grace. It's been my pleasure to be able to even sing. And I, 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 you know, don't always like to end sermons with songs, with like, verses of songs because it could be kind of corny but rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure save me from wrath and make me pure not the labors of my hands can fulfill your law's demands Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? For all for sin could not atone. You must save me and you alone. Nothing in my hand I bring simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to you for dress. Helpless I look to you for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly. Wash me savior or I die. While I draw this fleeting breath, when my eyes shall close in death, 
When I soar to worlds unknown, see thee on your judgment throne. Please, rock of ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Then in transitions like this, we can run to the rock. Your word, your character or reputation as God, and your grace. As things change, continue to hide us there so that we can see that angle, so that we can remember your graciousness to us. Help us not forget why we stand, why we hope, why we believe, why we even come to you and plead. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you. Pray for some of the things that were hard to hear or understand. But Lord, I do pray that you would work to do a supernatural thing, Lord. Let them see your goodness. Let them experience the glory of your grace in a supernatural way. Speak to their hearts. Embrace them. Lord, I thank you that you've been good to this church. So good. So gracious. You, you have never failed to show up in your grace for us. You've never faltered. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, we expect and hope and nothing less. You're going to be there with us, for us. This I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.